As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes, adult film stars, and sportsman drag racing. No live show this week, uh, so welcome to those of you listening via traditional means, uh, wherever it is that you find podcasts. No Jed this week. Jed is tied up. There's there's some footbreak race going on in Bristol that apparently he's got something to do with. He's got a busy week in front of him. So in his place, it's big shoes to fill, but we've got a guest co-host this week. I am joined by the one, the only Matt Dadis coming to us direct from the SFG 1.1 million in Michigan. Matt, how are you, sir? I'm living the dream, man. I, uh, I'm, I'm on property here at, uh, 131 and, uh, I, uh, Gage was in here a little while ago. I'm sitting in the motorhome and he, uh, he goes, well, what are you going to do if they call you? I said, I'm taking it with me. I said, if I got to go down the racetrack, they're going with me. <laughs> that would be a first and an epic, an epic moment here for the Sportsman Drag Racing <laughs> Podcast. So full transparency for those of you listening on Friday over the weekend, what have you, we're recording Wednesday about lunchtime. It's just after noon central time. So we do know that Donnie Burleson won the opening 20 grander last night over Kenny Underwood. Uh, our, our esteemed co-host, Matt Dadis was down to the quarterfinals last night. But obviously, as we record, that event is just getting rolling. Correct. Yeah, uh, I, uh, I popped at one red against Underwood last night. And uh, then Donnie B was making unbelievable runs. I think he was seven total and 10 total back-to-back semi and final. Um, and Underwood obviously was his normal self, just, you know, tricky as always you don't really know what he can go he uh he was he was 20 a little bit in the late in the end of the race and he said um he just couldn't roll it out so he was you know doing his normal underwood thing who's donnie b think he is anson brown what's going on there 
<laughs> I, I think everyone wishes they were Anson Brown right now. Good point. Good point. Uh, so we'll circle back, touch a little bit on what we know thus far uh, at the SFG 1.1 million. Let's take a step back to a week ago where the NHRA Tour made its way to your home track, almost your hometown, right? At, uh, at, at Summit Motorsports Park in Norwalk, Ohio. Obviously, the story coming out of there was one Lauren Freer. Lauren gets the win in Supercomp and in Super Gas, becomes just the 30th driver in NHRA history to double at the national event level. That's a pretty select list in and of itself. Most notably, she became the first female to, per, to write her name on that list. Matt, I believe, I did a little bit of research here, not as much as I wanted to. I believe Brina Splinger had previously come the closest to accomplishing that feat. Uh, I know I was, I think I was in Brainerd, I believe it was 2008. She won Super Gas, runnered up Super Comp. Brenda Grubbs has flirted with it at times. I think semis in both classes, final of one. Um, but obviously to this point, no one had yet accomplished that feat from the female side. So huge props to one Lauren Freer. Yeah. I mean, unbelievable and made good runs all the way through. Obviously Lauren, great equipment as we both know. Um, but I mean, yeah, made great runs, good stuff. And, uh, she's actually here right now. She, they have a super calm shootout and, uh, naturally she's on the buy second round, I believe. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the actually your two names that popped up, Brina and Brenda both, um, they were two people that I just going through the show notes kind of had in my in my foresight, just uh, people that at least could have, you know, done it in the past. So um, but yeah, props to props to Lauren. She was crushing it. Yeah, without question. She won super comp first and just the way that this went, like it's a, it's a difficult enough feat to accomplish. And so few erasers have done it. But to be at Norwalk, I think, adds a, an element to it. I think it's fair to say, like, there was a time where, obviously, Indy's in a class of its own. There was a time where the the quote-unquote majors, like, it felt like it was Pomona, it was Indy, it was Gainesville, maybe Englishtown in its day. It right. feels like Norwalk's got to be on that list. Maybe it's taken the place of Englishtown. So I think that elevates it some. Plus, the the unique aspect to this event, I know they fought a lot of rain, a lot of weather, um, I believe second round in most of the sportsman categories was contested early Saturday morning and third round was contested at like 10 o'clock Saturday night and then run almost to completion. They get all the way through the semifinals. Lauren's still in both classes at that point. I think at one point right. the plan was to run to completion Saturday night and then it's now it's, it's, it's after midnight. We're going to run the finals with the pro show on Sunday. So now you sleep on that. And on, and on one <laughs> hand, you're like, I could lose both rounds tomorrow. It's still been an epic weekend. On the other hand, you're like, I wish we could have just finished this thing, right? I'm rolling. So I would yeah. just the, the thoughts that had to be going through her mind Sunday, probably afternoon, early afternoon, by the time that they actually complete that thing. And then to be able to continue that role to see those final two win lights and, and accomplish history. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah, for sure. I was at Dragway 42 and had a couple people actually come to 42 um, just to kind of hang out. They're like, yeah, we're going back to Norwalk to watch the rest of the sportsman stuff. They're running them tonight. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And uh, but yeah, I mean, I could only imagine, you know, you get on a roll, you know, it. two cars, two classes and, uh, you know, you just want to finish it off. But um, like we said earlier, Lauren, great equipment, made a ton, makes a ton of runs. 
um, I'm certain uh, come Sunday when they're, you know, getting the pros finished up, she probably, uh, she probably knew right where 90 was. And, and uh, obviously that showed by both of her runs. Yeah, no question. And and obviously difficult to win a national event in any category or super comp win was super impressive, but super gas, like back-to-back round wins over Jeremy Mason and John LaBoost Jr. Those are two former world champions. And then the the final, I believe her super gas final was the last time that she went down the track. So she's already won super comp, comes back around for the super gas final. And Pat Martin in the other lane is 007-91-6. Like, for those of you that are are versed in in eighth mile bracket racing, you're like, yeah, twenty three total. Like that's pretty average. <laughs> I'm here to tell you, in a when you when they pick the dial in for you and they double the length of the track, and you haven't been down the track that day, I take twenty three total all day long, right? And that was not good enough. Lauren Freer, double oh five, take what uh, nine to be ninety one one and lay down seventeen total. No, my math is wrong. Take six to be seventeen total really yeah. really nice lap to and kind of the the cherry on top of that ice cream sundae at norwalk right <laughs> yeah i mean you're holding uh two ice cream scoops at the end of the day and and one before you even run the super gas finals so um yeah and i mean i she had to run pat martin which obviously both of us know a, a tricky racer in his own right um just uh one of the guys that's done it for a long time um and just makes great runs all the time good equipment again um but yeah, it's, it's just, uh, she, she accomplished something that obviously no other female has done, but you know, the list is very short and it's unbelievable. Very prestigious day. And you talked about Pat Martin, like she, not only did she beat Pat in the super gas final, she beat Pat in the super comp like quarterfinals. So I think there's an element too. Like, I think it's really hard to beat a good racer twice, you know, so yeah. that's probably weighing on your mind. Like it seemed like there was a lot working against her in those late rounds and she just continued to perform. Uh, in, in particular in that final um, part of the, the Norwalk experience always is the, the, the work, the thought, the history that goes into that facility. And obviously that's synonymous with the Bader family. I did see, and I, and I wanted to bring up to you because I know that you're close to the facility, close to the family. It probably means as much to you as anyone um, Sunday morning at, at Norwalk, I did not realize I didn't put together. That was a year to the day. It was Sunday of Correct. the Norwalk national event last year that Bill Bader senior passed away. And, and uh, so Sunday this year starts with a tribute to him from Billy jr. Like I can only imagine what that was like there in the moment. Um, a, a special moment, but I'm sure a difficult one for everybody that's there. Obviously you weren't there sure. in, in person, but as you kind of zoom out, like what is the, Bill Sr. wasn't necessarily involved in the day-to-day operations there for many years, but I, I'm confident in saying that his presence is still felt there on a daily basis. Like oh. when you see the pictures of that and and can kind of put yourself in that moment, like what do you feel like that was like? I couldn't imagine. I mean, the way and and it's it's perfect that I'm on for this episode because I can I've known the Bader family my whole entire life. And uh I mean Bill Sr. was a, he was exactly what everyone says. He was just that guy. And I mean, even to the point where when I was a little kid, he would come up and he'd walk right up to my parents, give my dad a huge handshake, give my mom a hug and a kiss and kiss my sister and, and me on our foreheads. It was like, and we're like, at first we're like, who is this guy? 
my dad's like, that's the track owner. We're like, what? And I mean, that was just how he was for everyone. And he, I think I've, I've heard it multiple times on the podcast. I don't believe our sport would be in the place it is without Bill Bader senior or the Bader family in general. Um, but yeah, I mean, just means so much to, I know for me, our family, the, the Bader family means so much and to be a part of a, a really cool legacy, um, it is unreal. And I think we, we got to see a lot. Um, Bill senior would be there on a points race, just walking around, you know, like after he didn't have much day to day, you know, track, uh, operation stuff, but yeah, just at a points race, just walking around and, and he wasn't afraid to throw his weight around. Like, Hey, I still am, you know, I'm still Bill Bader senior. And he'd go up there and brush the water box off and do whatever, you know, and, and they, uh, I could only imagine the the tribute. I wish I was there to see it um, because it's, that's, you know, that's, that's their home. That's their legacy right there. And a year to the day to do it, that's, it had to be really, really special. And I still, um, we went to the, the um, memorial they had at the racetrack um, after he passed and for Bill, Bill Jr. to come up and speak the way he did, it was, it was pretty incredible. He was, He's uh he's someone I, I really look up to, and again, another thing the the Bader family. I don't think our sport would be where it is without him. Well said. The um, it's I it's not fair to compare the two because obviously they're significantly different, if not polar opposites, in terms of personality. But the one thing that the only two people that come to mind when I think about people that you recognize like who they are, like there's a level of fame or respect that just comes with seeing them. And then when you interact with them, like there's this feeling like this is a person that is above me, you know, that's, that's the way that, right. that I would feel when I would interact with Bill Bader senior or with Kyle Seipel is the other one that comes to mind. And those two are the two that come to mind is whenever I would have an interaction, they made me feel like I was the most important person in the world. You know, like I was all that mattered in that moment. And there's like a level of presence that I think is uncommon among any of us, much less someone in the position that, that Bill Bader Sr. was in, that it just, I thought it was always noteworthy and it was always consistent. And then to take <clears throat> Sunday in particular, because to your point, Billy is so thoughtful, so well-spoken, like I, I can, yes. and I'm sure there is a, um, whether it was at the at the memorial or um, this past Sunday, like there is an element of loss and grief in that for for him, certainly, but for all of us. But yeah. I just knowing the way that they go about things, like I almost would guarantee that that was spun into more of a celebratory, like this was more a celebration of the man and what he accomplished than it was like, oh, what was us? What are we going to do without him? So I just imagine right. to take this highly emotional moment and it becomes like um, an inspiration to all of us, because I think ultimately that's what Bill Sr. would have done. Absolutely. And even going back to when we were at the Memorial, we were at the Memorial as, I mean, obviously as a, a local racer, but more so a family friend. And to see at this Memorial that Clay Milliken, John Force, Ted Jones was speaking, it was, it, it gives me chills right now thinking about it. Like Bill Sr. was more, then I know I realized, but seeing it, but I saw him as a family friend, you know, and, and that's just, 
he, 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 exactly what I said before, he is that guy, you know? And um, yeah, I mean, just the way the the Bader family does everything, they, they do it on a, on a higher level. And um, like you said, it was going to be a celebratory thing. Bill, Bill Jr. is the, the, every race, you know, they have some sort of show night under fire or whatever. Um, And he said, you know, he always has his famous line, this is America. And if you don't like it, get the hell out, you know? And, And that's just, that's how they are. They turn, you know, something that could be somber or serious into something that's, you know, kind of a party, which is, is awesome. Other results from America's racetrack. Marion Stevenson got the win in stock eliminator over Rob Dalla Bill. Uh, Joe Swanson was a top dragster winner. I believe that was his first national event. Wally for him got the win over Darian Bosch. Uh, Scott Wasco was the winner in top sportsman over Mike Moorhead. I think you and Scott go way back. Yeah, we, uh, Scott and, uh, Heidi, Jordan, um, Jacob, the whole family, uh, that had to be a pretty special one. Uh, they, they lost their son, uh, last year, uh, in a car accident. And, uh, so I'm sure that was a a really special one for the whole family. And, and, uh, I don't know how much you know about Scott Wasco, but he brings like a pro stock GXP to Norwalk to bracket races, bracket races and dials 412. Like, he does not care, and it goes four twelve for a whole year. It's Fantastic. unbelievable. It, I, he, when Norwalk used to be quarter mile, he had Illumina, and he would dial seven flat because that's the fastest you could dial, and he would shoot drop people like two shoots out. out you know, <laughs> like, it was it was the coolest thing ever. And in the final, um, I believe he was twelve total or or something. Yeah, it was a very good. good. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's funny. I've uh, I've said for years that Lester Johnson is inequivocally my favorite top sportsman racer, like because he's just not afraid to dial class minimum. Class minimum, Lester Johnson's my guy. The way that you talk about Scott Wasco, Lester may have a run for his money. I, I like the attitude here. Yeah, Scott is a uh, he doesn't really care about much, um, which is pretty cool. And, and he's the most even keel guy. He's got a, a Mercury Comet that he bracket races when he doesn't bracket race pro stock pro mod whatever you want to call it um and it goes like 640s and i watched like a run of his when i was at norwalk a few weeks ago and he was like six total first round like setting it down like he's just a good driver in anything he gets in and uh obviously the the family's awesome too all right let me just see if we can put this into context for the listener as we got to the semifinal rounds in super stock at norwalk we have multi-time NHRA world champion, Kevin Helms. We have reigning NHRA world champion, Pete Dagnolo. And we've got like a full-on freaking super stock, A automatic, Hemi, 64 Savoy, like the whole deal, right? So oh, yeah. odds are that's not going to be the thing in the winner circle. But Sean Dornan proved us very, very wrong. Not only did he win in arguably the coolest car in the class. He defeated Kevin Helms in the semifinal and Pete Dagnolo in the final two guys that have not only won NHRA world championships, but are very much in contention for this year's NHRA world championship. Tell me a little bit about Sean Dornan's super stock win at Norwalk. He, uh, Sean Dornan. And I, I'm certain this one met a ton to him too, uh, because Sean Dornan does a lot for summit motorsports park. He owns the tire store that's at the track now and the part store. Um, so he does a lot and that's his home track. It, I, I drive by there every day. I live in Norwalk. 
Um, so I drive by there every day. His motorhome and trailer stays at the track. It's the only one that stays at the track. And uh, I drive by there every day and, and see it. And I actually, uh, Gage and I were on our way home from Dragway 42, and we swung in the gates because they're open, the race is over. And Sean was getting ready to move his motorhome back over to a spot. And I stopped and talked to him and he was above the moon about it, man. It was, it was really, really cool to see. He's, I know he's, he's been doing this for a long time and may, he's definitely not a full-time super stock racer or stock racer. Cause he, he has a stocker too. Um, but that one being at Norwalk meant a whole heck of a lot for sure. And a lot of people don't know him, but he's a, he's another salty guy like a Scott Wasco. He, he's got a 68 Camaro that he runs on the bottom and, uh, it's nothing to see someone turn it red in the other lane to him and him light it up five under, you know, he's, he's that kind of guy. He's a wheel man. And, and uh, I know he said, I talked to him. So I got a little in-depth conversation. Um, he said he was dialed to go four under or something in the final. And then it knocked the tires off. And he was like a couple thou under on the floor, like seven mile an hour more than he's gone all weekend. <laughs> so it's just, uh, I, I'm sure that would, it had to mean a ton to him. Fantastic. Especially over, obviously, reigning world champion Pete Diagnola. Yes, yes. Who uh, is has has left a little bit of meat on the bone on the divisional side, but is putting together another incredible national score. And Jed and I have talked about this repeatedly, but the super stock stretch run is going to be epic just because of there's no one running away with it and everyone seemingly in contention is big, big names, whether it's Pete Dagnolo, Kevin Helms, Kyle Rizzoli, Brad Burton, like on down the list, it's uh, it's going to be a fun one to watch. Similarly, in competition eliminator, no one's running away with this year's title. Um, on paper, Bruno Massel's been leading for a while, but not really with a score that would traditionally uh, earn the national championship. That was prior to last weekend. They, they got a boost. Bruno wins comp at Norwalk. It's his second national event win of the season. Got the victory over Andrew Holt. Uh, and certainly, like, again, I, I don't know that it's enough to say that Bruno is the odds-on favorite, but there's no one at this point that is. So this certainly bolsters his hopes of a, of a fourth NHRA competition eliminator national championship. Absolutely. And obviously, as you know, Bruno, um, very fast car capable to win every weekend he goes um hit hits a tree really well and has a good crew um so yeah i, I mean I, this only you know solidifies i think bruno's um i think probably thought going forward of hey you know we're we're here to win a championship so i uh, i don't i see him being probably trouble for the rest of the uh couple competition eliminator uh crew yeah there were there were years plural there where it just felt like like bruno could win Every race that he went to is just a question of whether or not it was worth it. Like he could go faster than anyone, right? It was just a matter of how much right. he wanted to give up. I don't know that that's necessarily the case now. Like it may have been four or five years ago. I think he has to pick his spots a little bit more. I think just over time that right. index has been beaten up. But to your point, excellent driver, solid equipment. Like I think the biggest hurdle for, for Bruno each and every season is simply managing his schedule to make enough races to, right. to, to make a legitimate run at it. But it seems like that there's a concerted effort to do that in 2023. And anytime that Bruno's making a concerted, concerted effort, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with just down the road from Summit Motorsports Park, where you alluded to, you spent the weekend at the hoot. Give me That's the right. shakedown of what looked like the baddest bottom ball 
contingent and field this side of the world footbreak challenge. Absolutely. Yeah, it was, uh, it was brutal. Um, I realized I'm still not much of a bottom bobber, you know, although I want to be, um, but yeah, it was unbelievable. I, I will say the, the guys that do it every weekend on the bottom are special. I mean, they, they are very, very special. They can, I mean, and they can make time runs. They can hold 500s. You don't know exactly what they're doing. And that maybe helps out a little bit on my end. Cause I watch a lot, but, um, yeah, they, they just make really, really good runs, obviously great stuff. And, uh, but also, you know, on the bottom, there's a little more, um, it's a little more like grassroots, right? Like you can, you know, like, it's nothing to see a couple guys go out there and be going five under next to each other. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was a, I watched a lot. Um, <laughs> so, uh, it was, it was really cool that they, they did a really good job. The, the Jaeger brothers did a really good job with the race. The uh, the big winners from the weekend, or the as the results show that that thirty two car epic all star shootout that was Matt Obertanik over Evan Ellison. Ellison uh, made multiple finals. He also runnered up one of the ten granders to Jason Ford. Jed kind of called it. By the way, we were we were trying to predict winners of that uh, all star shootout, and his call was Jason Ford. So he didn't get it exactly right, but he did call one of the winners. Pretty impressive for Big Jed. Sunday's ten grander, Nick Bowman over Russ Benish. So outside of those results and, and and those names and maybe including those names, like as someone that was there on the premises watching run after run, was there anyone that stood out? Like, was there an MVP in your eyes, anybody that really turned heads outside of that group? Um, I think Edmund, obviously um, two finals and I'll always makes good runs. Caleb the same way. Um, but the one that stuck out for me a little bit was Bubba Black. Um, Chris Black works at uh, Marco Bruzzi shop. He was doubled at six in the Saturday 10 grander, had to run himself and lost at three, um, but made incredible runs all weekend. Um, obviously a very good piece of equipment that he drives, um, but made great runs, hit the tree really well. And I think he went 616 every run down the racetrack, it seemed like. Um, so he was another one that I think did really well. Um, but of course, the Ellisons. I think Edmund, if there was an MVP, I think Edmund's the MVP of that weekend. Fair enough. It seems like, and again, like this is cherry picking to some extent, but for, I don't know, the better part of the last two or three seasons, when we saw a marquee bottom ball brace, it felt like you could pencil in like either Nick Hastings or Lucas Walker or both. We're going to win this year. They've they've cooled slightly. Is that more, in your opinion, just a regression to the mean in terms of like you just can't stay that hot that long? They're not doing anything different. It's just it's inevitable that you're going to get on the other side of the coin. Or do you think it's more a case of the rest of that bottom ball field continuing to elevate to that level, and it's harder for guys, even of their skill set, to separate themselves like they once did? I think it's exactly what you just said. I mean, you have guys that go every weekend and see Lucas Walker, Nick Hastings, even the Ellisons win all the time. And I think on the bottom bulb side, a lot of guys have focused more on that, trying to improve their game um, to level up with those guys. And I, I think that's exactly it. Like you said, I don't, I don't think Nick Hastings or Lucas Walker is any cooler than they've ever been, you know, in, in past, past years. But I think, everyone that they are staging up next to 
has maybe just gotten a little hotter. No, well said. Um, on the big dollar top bulb side of things, um, Firecracker Nationals, one of my personal favorite events. Uh, I didn't get to attend this year, but uh, up at Byron Dragway, similar to, to Norwalk in some ways, kind of a historic facility, has some connection to the quote unquote birth of big dollar bracket racing. Like, And I think just the fact that, I don't know, there's three or four generations of folks that have come through that place like that, that helps, right? Not, not folks in the general term, folks in the, in the very specific yeah. capital F yeah. folk term. Correct. Um, yeah. This event is, is headlined by a $100,000 to win Saturday main event, given weather considerations, I guess, Sunday looked to be, and, and I think was ultimately a complete washout. Saturday and Sunday get combined for one massive $130,000 winner's purse, which was won by a familiar name, Matt. Ricky Adkins gets the win over Bruce Call. Adkins, obviously, multi-time IHRA world champion. I think all of his championships were in top drag strip, if I'm not mistaken, but he flirted with it in top sportsman a couple of years as well. Yep. Multi-time big dollar bracket winner, probably most notably prior to his IHRA days. Uh, he won, I think it was the second 50 grander at, at uh, mid-Michigan back when that was one of the only uh, marquee big dollar yeah. races on the uh, on the calendar back in 1995. Um, I want to talk about Bruce Call too, but let me first throw it to you for some thoughts on Ricky Atkins. Yeah, Ricky, um, obviously a, a crafty veteran, um, as you know. So they, uh, yeah, he he. I mean, he crushes it all the time. He's got good stuff, and he goes to all the races, and he's been knocking on the door for a long time at all these big money races, and finally sealed one up. Um, for him, I, I'm sure it couldn't come at a better time before probably one of the most expensive weekends of, <laughs> of the season. So <laughs> he, he, uh, I think that probably meant a lot to him and, and makes this week a lot easier for him, at least yeah. mentally, you know, De definitely easier to come into a weekend where like a $10,000 tab is not out of the question to have nearly, I would assume close to six figures in your coffers coming off of Byron. So yeah, that's, it's good timing. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. He, um, like you said, I think he's knocked on the door and top sportsman definitely won a top dragster a lot. Um, one that, you know, he shows up to the race. He could always win no matter what, whenever he stays next to him. So I think it was a, a year or two ago and I forget the sequence of events, but we were at Byron and then the SFG event at Martin was obviously the following weekend. That's kind of been the way the calendar's fallen for the last several years. And then there was a couple of more big events after that. Like they just had like the calendar tends to do it just multiplied on itself there for a few weeks in July. And I remember Nick Folk, I think he runnered up the hundred grander at Byron. And I'm like, what'd you end up with out of that? And it was like 40 grand or something. He's like, yeah, yeah. it's bad to say, but like, I just kind of free roll for the next month. I'm not ahead yet. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh well, heck this weekend, if, if you, uh, if you double the million and have to buy back, that's seventy two hundred. So, not including the two thousand that we've already spent to run three fifties, you know, doubled. So, yeah, it could be a, a definitely an expensive one. But uh, as I mentioned earlier, that final round at uh, at Byron Ricky Atkins over Bruce Call and Bruce Call following a a, a trend that uh, I think was set by William Hamilton at an event that you were at at uh, at the yep. Ultimate sixty four just a few weeks back. 
making a huge marquee final round and what i think is fair to say is is the twilight of their careers if if i'm not mistaken we talked about the fat lady william hamilton a few weeks ago i believe he's 74 oh, years yeah. young if facebook is not lying to me bruce bruce <laughs> calls birth date on facebook also has him at that same age 74 years old and i think the the takeaway for me in this instance matt and this may be a little bit different than it is for you i think we're at least like a yeah. decade apart like i'm I, I'm I'm definitely not in my 70s, but it, it feels like I'm getting closer every day, right? I think my takeaway is, man, like there's there's hope for all of us here. You know what I mean? I, I as as I'm probably at least in my mind, like um, close to the 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 peak of my powers, if you will, as a, as a racer, or maybe just on the on the downhill side of that. You know, you got the the years of experience, and I'm not yet old enough to feel like it's it's catching up with me in terms of a uh, of uh, of physical physical intensity or uh, or having the 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 bandwidth to to stay at it right, but yeah. I know that those days are coming. But when I see racers like Bruce Call, like William Hamilton, I'm like, oh, those days are way farther off than I want to admit. Yeah, I'm almost thirty now. I'm twenty eight, so I see myself too, like thinking into the future. Like I hope at seventy four that I can run her up in something like this. Like, I hope I'm still that aware and, and able to do it. You know, they, I'm certain an inspiration for not only us being on the younger side of the generation, but uh, even the, you know, all the, all the older generation guys too. Bruce just, I don't know if you've had much interaction with him, like just a good dude. I remember feeling like he kind of took me under his wing when I was a kid, you know what I mean? And, and, and he was the guy that, that are one of the guys that we all looked up to, um, you know, one at, at Moroso and, and done a lot mm -hmm. of, a lot of things in the sport. So I just uh, it, like Ricky Adkins and actually kind of ironically like William Hamilton, Bruce calls also a former winner of the world super pro challenge at, uh, at Michigan. Right. I think fair to say prior to this, that was probably his, his biggest on track accomplishment. And I remember I actually had to look up the year, Matt, because I, I was there when Bruce won the 50 <laughs> at Stanton. And I remember thinking like, oh, man, that's that's so cool. Like, good for Bruce. Like, he's probably not going to be able to compete at this level that much longer. Right. Like, I'm really right. happy to see him knock down a win like this. And then I pulled it up and look, that was 15 years ago, Matt. <laughs> well, how wrong was I? Right. Yeah. I mean, he's one of those guys. I've watched, I've, I don't know that I've ever actually spoke to him, but just one of those guys that has been around, you know, the name and you, just like a Tom Dauber, you know, they are all inspirations for, for all of us going forward. And to what you said on the, uh, you know, 15 years ago, like that's still unbelievable. You're like, Oh yeah. You know, he's probably on the way out, but no, it's still 15 years later, staging up for 130 grand. There ain't nothing better than that. Yes. No, no question. Um, the, uh, and I didn't even have it in the show notes. I, I, I don't know the complete results, but I know the 30 grander on Friday, the, the, the prelude to the, to the big show was won by one Hayden Bailey. So I thought we'd give a shout out to him as well. Nice work on that Hayden. Um, would you hit a little bit of, of every aspect, every corner of the sport, so to speak, we don't typically spend much time on this show talking about junior dragsters, but the Western Conference Finals happened last weekend in Denver. Given that that you're a graduate of the junior ranks, I'm a graduate of the junior Absolutely. ranks. If you if you go that far back in time, like I thought it <laughs> was worth touching on. Um, 
Aiden Risner was probably the the man of the hour, the, the boy of the hour, if you will, from uh, from Denver. He won the Western Conference Finals for a second consecutive season. He won the 11-year-old class this season, backing up his championship as a 10-year-old a year ago. Pretty impressive stuff. And from a personal standpoint, Matt, it was my boy, my boy Carson. <laughs> Carson Weed got his first Conference Finals Wally in the 10-year-old age group. Just for reference, for those of you that aren't familiar with that name, um, it may be a while, but you will be. Between Carson and his brother Tyler, um, they are ridiculous. And I don't just mean in terms of accomplishments. I mean, in terms of talent, like I, I'm a little bit biased, but I don't know that I've ever really seen much like what those two do. Um, very, very talented. Um, win, upon, win a ton. Tyler actually won the Division Five championship the day prior to the Western Conference Finals. And just to put it into perspective, I don't know exacts, but I mean, the Weed brothers are from Wisconsin, so their season doesn't start particularly early. And as we record right. this, it is still June. And I don't have an exact number, but I'm confident in saying that each have been in 10 plus finals this season. <laughs> it's literally every weekend, if not multiple times a weekend. Carson gets that WCF victory as definitely the uh, the largest, the the most prestigious, the the biggest trophy on his mantle to date. Matt, I know, I don't know if you ever made the trip to Denver. I've never been to Denver in my life, um, but I know you are a, a a veteran of the conference finals format. Talk a little oh, yeah. bit about what that event means, the pressure of being in late rounds. Like, what are these? six to 17 year olds going through Saturday at Denver. So we obviously never went to Denver, but we always went to Bristol. Um, and the way they ran Bristol, and I don't know if it's the same way with Denver, um, but you run first round only the one day. And I don't know if that's still the same for them, if it's the same format or not, but I'm telling you that first round, like you drive for us, it was eight hours or whatever, but you drive eight hours, your parents take vacation for Which the whole week. at 12 feels like it could be eight days, right? I mean, that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. you think you're out of the country, right? Like, and uh, so your parents take vacation. You, you've been planning this for, for months already, right? And that first round is the most pressure-packed first round. Like, you don't even believe. It's like staging up, and it, if you lose, you get to go home. Like, and you get to go home before the race even finishes. Like that Saturday, they're finishing on Sunday. It's like, it's unbelievable. So I, I can only imagine what all those kids were going through at, at Denver, especially Denver being Denver and Bristol, I feel are maybe a little one in the same, like the, you know, the scenery and all that. Um, you've got two places that are maybe a little, maybe just add pressure in their own, you know, rolling down the hill at, at Denver and, and rolling in the staging lanes at Bristol, staging up between the mountains. Um, I think it definitely weeds out the kids that have it and the kids that don't, you know, I mean, it, it takes, it takes some stones to, to still at, you know, 12 years old or 10 years old to hit it and not think about it. You know, that's it. what those kids do that win those races Western Conference or Eastern Conference Finals, they have something special. Yeah, no, I was. Uh, I'm trying to kind of prepare. I'm taking my son Gary to Bristol this year. It's a, it's first experience for either of us, and there's a part of me that's like, I I know what it feels like to be in like pressure situations at 
30 and 40 years old. Like I don't, <laughs> and I can just imagine maybe it's different than I, than I think, but the way you just described it, it's not like you can cut the tension with a knife. Like, do I really even want to subject my 10 year old to this? Right. But that's <laughs> probably the overprotective helicopter parent coming out of me in the long right. I think he's probably way better off for having gone through it, win, lose, or draw. But of in course. the moment I would imagine, and you know, for most, it's not going to to go as well as they'd expect. And that's got to suck in the moment <laughs> for parents <laughs> and kids, you know, for lack of a better term. But I think uh, in the long run, there's probably more benefit to that than uh, than anything. Yeah, for sure. Um, the There's no feeling like losing first round at Bristol. I've done it. And I, I'm sure a lot of people have at any sort of Eastern Conference or Western Conference final. But being thrown to the wolves like that definitely once you do it a couple times, the you know the third or fourth time when Gary's say thirteen, it's gonna feel like second nature, and that's when you know good things happen. Other winners from Denver. How about Blaine Carroll? That's Will's boy. Got the win in the six to nine year old age group. And I don't, I, I, I didn't pull up an age, but Blaine's young. Like he might be six. Like he's not nine. I was, yeah. I was gonna say I, I think he's six or seven. Like I don't think he's been racing very long, and. I just hope he's just like Will. That's all. That's all I got to say. <laughs> there, well, in fairness, there's no one just like Will. That's that's an impossible bar to set. <laughs> he Will Will bought an engine from me about two weeks ago, and he goes, "So how long has this thing been sitting?" And I said, "Well, since about 2002." He said, "I'll take a gamble on it." I said, "You're gonna pull it apart?" He said, "Nah." <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like will whether that's remotely honest or not i have no idea because i never right. to take will you never yes, know you, you never, never know. know colton farley was your 12 year old winner he came from texas to denver got that 12 year old wally uh logan sweetman won the 13 year old class race raglan out of oklahoma uh race i said uh aiden risner was the 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 winner of the weekend you could make an argument for race raglan not only did he win the 14 year old age group he ran the weekend uh won the friday event as well for the weekend sweep nava queering wins the 15 year old class Vinny gianetta the 16 to 17 year old champion and emerson rose pyers got the win in junior comp in an all pyers family affair she got that victory over her brother Aiden. So good stuff. Lots of memories made in Denver, and uh, we'll at least briefly cover Eastern Conference Finals from Bristol a couple weeks from now as well. Absolutely, I saw a race Raglan, I believe, in an electric junior. Um, got oh, the win over the okay. weekend, I believe. So Ross posted uh, his father posted on on Facebook. I believe that's a new electric junior that he was racing. I know that. Um... Gage Wilson had had a ton of success in electric car, multi-time conference yep. champion. I believe Gage actually won the Division Five event the day prior uh, at Denver, okay. but didn't, didn't get the uh, the the Wally that he so covets. I think I, I think it's a bit of an outside shot at this point because I don't know how many chances Gage has left, but he's one of the few that has a chance, an opportunity to match or better. Was it Cade Poe that won, I think, five conference championships yep. back in the day? Holds yep. that record. I think Gage is at three with a few remaining. So, wow. Yeah. I wanna, that, I just, That's awesome. I say that just because when you when you say electric junior dragster, I feel like he's the poster boy for that, right? Like, obviously, right. done it and had a ton of success on that side of things. Um, obviously, when we reconvene next week, we'll have Jed back. We will talk about 
the SFG 1.1 million in its entirety. As we mentioned earlier, we're very early stages of the event, but uh, give me a, a, a an update from the grounds. We talked a little bit about what happened yesterday, but what's going on in Martin? What's the car count like? What's the vibe like in the pits? Um, it's pretty packed right now where I'm, I'm up front, um, more so on, in a parking spot, but, um, a good amount of cars, I would say probably today there was maybe 350, I guess somewhere around there. Um, but everything seems so far so good, copacetic so far. Um, I mean, the, the track's been good, um, timing system obviously been great. So yeah, so far so good. I don't know so much how the million car count will be. Um, just cause it's a, it's a big pill to swallow for a lot of people, but, um, I guess time will tell. Yeah. Jed and I speculated a little bit on that last week, unique in a, in a couple of, of notable ways that the entry fee is $3,000 versus your kind of traditional million being 2000. That's not unprecedented. Britain Galen did that, uh, the, the, the two years of the, the guaranteed million, but I think it's a little bit different when you know you're racing for a million dollars, right? Three grand to race for a prorated purse, a little bit unprecedented and obviously steep. The, the, the pushback that I heard on that, obviously there was, there are some racers that, 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 entry fee, that tag in general is just going to keep them from going at all. But I think I could be wrong, but I think that that percentage is minimal. What I heard a lot more than I expected, even from racers that like yourself, like Kevin Brandon, like a few others that I know are going to that event or that I expect to be there was like, Hey, at three grand, like I'm, and, and perhaps not, you know, 400 cars. I don't know how keen I am on double entering. And this is a format that is largely I don't want to say dependent, but somewhat dependent on the racers that are in attendance doubling. Correct. And I'm, we spoke about this a little bit before the show and I'm in the same, same kind of boat right now. I know I'm, I'm going to enter the million. I'm here, obviously. Um, But as, as of right now, I'm going to single just because it's, I don't, I don't know what the car count's going to be like. And that could change obviously going through the weekend. So Pending, oh, there's 400 cars in a million. Obviously, then you probably buy a second entry. But um, my current current thought on it right now is I'm going to single. So we'll uh, we'll see what it all comes out to be, and uh, I hope it's good for them. And I hope you know the promoter makes money and can keep on going. So we have races to go to. You know, subject to change without notice was the way that I took that. <laughs> correct, correct, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a game time decision. The the other kind of unique aspect about the million is that most, I want to perhaps not all, but traditionally, the the million is not the last race on the schedule, right? There's typically another event that kind of bookends it, and I think from a the reasoning behind that is kind of twofold. Like a, I think it's harder for most racers to even if you go with no intentions of running the million, maybe most are more disciplined than I, I have a hard time sitting there watching other people race. And I'm like, I, I would be very yeah. tempted if there's any way I could pull it off to go ahead and enter, like, look, I'm here. Right. And I think that that has some impact. Um, and then also like just from a, a prestige notoriety and almost like atmosphere of it, like it's just cooler when everybody's at the racetrack. Right. And when there's a race the next day, by and large, everybody's there to watch the late rounds of the big show. This year with the SFG format, the big show is the last thing. So 
maybe everybody sticks around because it is the million and want to see it anyway, right? But my my impression right. is that some would be leaving. And I don't know that it necessarily impacts car count, but I think there's something to the fact that like you have to be there anyway. Like maybe I'll stick around and or like that feels like it could be a detriment. But you brought up a good point pre-show and saying like, well, it could work the other way too, right? Yeah, absolutely. You could think of it both ways. Um, being the last race, it could deter people from running it, but also you have three 50 grand main events going on right now. First one going on as we speak, but you also have a lot of guys that are probably going to make a split through those three races. Well, they're going to enter that. Maybe they weren't going to enter when they started, you know, if they get five grand or, or three grand, even then, mm-hmm. Hey, I got a free entry essentially. Um, so you got, you got some guys that are going to, you're going to add car count to it being the last race because heck maybe Friday night, that last 50 grander before they were on the fence and they make it to five cars and make the split and heck yeah, I'm running the million tomorrow, you know, yeah, more so opportunity you could look at it. Roll it. Mm-hmm. You could look at it both ways. I think. And again, the only time will tell on what the, you know, the true car count will be, but uh, I I'm in it. And uh, I, I think everyone else should be too. I mean, heck it's good money. It's life-changing money. They say without question without question and on that level like just give me because i feel like we've all got our our personal preferences right as as far as the the races that we enjoy attending and and the races where we ultimately want to spend our money and i think like i've been relatively vocal in saying like i just i've never been a huge fan of like the sfg format but that's just me personally. And I feel like the position that I'm in here within the podcast, it's very easy for me to take my own personal opinion. Like this doesn't line up for me in this season of my life and project it to right. where this doesn't line up for everybody. So I think this is an opportunity, like you've attended most, if not all of the SFG events for several years. Like give me the the argument, give me the the argument. Like this is why I enjoy going to these races. Um, Obviously the, payout is great um the entry is fair i would say i wouldn't say it's the cheapest thing on uh, on the map it was at one point the yeah, cheapest thing on the, the map the, for sure the format that that kyle uses has changed pretty significantly and if i'm going to be completely transparent like the current format appeals to me more like i'm one i'd rather pay a little bit more right. money deal with a few less cars and have great round money like all of that is appealing at this point but anyway absolutely no you're totally right and for example, the 500 that gauge won 670 cars or whatever, 500 grand to win. And I believe you could buy a gate entry for 1200 bucks. So it was like you said, the format polar opposite really at this point, expensive entry, low car count in most cases. Um, but I, I enjoy, I think the way, the way it's always been, um, you get a lot of guys that come to just these races, maybe like I think Kyle has some pretty devout followers. Um, so you get to race maybe some different people that are not at all of them. So I kind of like that. But also you have you get to, you know, fourth round and it's a dogfight. You know, you got the best guys in the nation here in most cases. Um, so that's I think that's the challenge, I guess, is maybe uh, appealing to me. And it's when there's a lot of cars, it's over a long period of time, which I kind of like, I, I don't mind. And I think you're the same way. I don't mind running a 
600 car race for the the split of the runs i feel i watch a lot of weather and data and all that so i feel like i can make a pretty good decision even if i haven't ran in seven hours um so i i like that part of it but for the most part i would say just you have the opportunity to make some really good money you know if if you do well and and get lucky enough to be in the end of the race that's my biggest thing um i've always said i've told probably a lot of people this but someone told me years ago if it's going to be your day it's going to be your day so there's a guy in the pits hopefully it's me but there's a guy in the pits that's already the winner today i don't know who it is but i'd rather it be my day for 50 grand than 1500 so you know it's that's just the the way i think about it a little bit in the words of my father matt some poor bastard's got to win and I'm as poor a bastard as him. <laughs> that was always my dad's go-to line. So there you go. Give me, let's take, let's take Matt Dadis, and and for that matter, let's take Gage Birch off the table, right? There's there's no there's no team Dadis automobiles here. Give me a Correct. prediction for who hoists the the trophy, the huge check, and goes home with life changing money on Saturday, right? Saturday night. Correct. Yeah. My prediction and i don't know if it goes i don't know if the odds get better or worse but chris bear is just chris bear that was actually a thought at the top of my head when we rolled yeah okay go ahead chris bear is just chris bear and he crushed us at the ace race he crushed him at national trails last i think last weekend um and i just i just like the guy he's my partner as you say in in the uh, in the shootout of uh, Pete's Pete's shootout, so my pick right now is Chris Bear. Yeah, see, my only the the, the that thought crossed my mind. Obviously, he's got to be a favorite at this point. The pushback that I had mentally was like, at some point, you get a conscience about these things and realize, like, I'm Correct. not supposed to win every damn time that I stage. But in fairness, I think for most. That would have come up by like day three at 42, much less by day six <laughs> at Columbus. So it may just be the fact that Chris Bear just doesn't have a conscience and it doesn't affect him at all to just keep beating the hell out of people. So that could and, very well continue. And that's why I started off with Chris Bear is Chris Bear. <laughs> because for me, if I'm crushing all these guys for three, six days in a row, the way I think of, I'm going to lose. Like I'm gonna get wore out at some point, but Chris Bear is just Chris Bear, and I, he's uh, he's my current pick for right now. I think. Yeah, he just keeps on keeping on. I don't even know if my pick is at the facility. I expect him to be, but I know his son's been involved in like travel basketball, and that's been a priority. But if Nick Folk's there, Nick Folk's my pick. I'm riding. Nick Folk is here. Yes. Right. Um, Nick Folk. I don't. I don't know why, but Nick Folk was in the Super Cup time run, and he went 788 on an 890. So I'm not really certain what happened there, but Nick Folk is here. (laughs) There's probably, truth be known, there was probably some type of mistake involved there. But, I mean, I'll just, for the sake of the story, I'll just, like, why did Nick Folk go 788? Because he can, man. Well, that's true. As we spoke before the show, Maybe just a little fast out there. That's just a little quick this morning. <laughs> yeah, missed the weather a little bit. Second under. 
All right, the yeah. other at the other end of the spectrum, we've got one of, if not the biggest top ball braces of the season. That's where you're in attendance. And one of, if not the biggest and most prestigious bottom ball races of the season. That's where Jed's at this weekend. World Footbreak Challenge in Bristol, a race that I know is near and dear to both of our hearts and obviously Jed's as well. Um, with the restructuring this year, massive car count, massive car yep. count coming to Bristol. So they got in front of that, made it 225 granders. Those are the two main events. Give me two names out of the sea of 600 plus uh, amazing footbreakers sure to descend on Bristol Dragway. I would say the first guy I was going to pick is already on your already on your list here. We can double. Um, we can double. It's fine. Adam Davis is obviously Adam Davis. Um, Nick Hastings is not at Bristol. Oh, that's notable. Shock, okay. Shocker, shocker of the podcast so far. Nick Hastings is not at Bristol. Neither is Kevin Pollard. Breaking news. Um, correct. Breaking news live from Martin, Michigan. Um, but I would say I like Adam Davis. I think you could see definitely a like a Mitchell Seymour in late. He's been he's been really good, got good stuff. And of course, if I were to pick two people, I'm gonna say Adam Davis and I think Edmund Ellison's in late. Yeah, hard to bet against either one of those. I had Adam on my sheet as you alluded. Track operator, Adam Davis. Doesn't get Big to race track much. operator. Yeah. Doesn't get to race much these days. I don't think that matters. I actually think there's like an element to when you don't get to race as much, and particularly when you do, and it's a race like the World Footbreak Challenge that is elevated for all of us, but I think holds a special place in Adam's heart as well. Like there's this element Absolutely. of I haven't gotten to race in a while. You could look at that as I'm I'm coming in rusty. I think Adam yeah. will choose to look at it as like, oh, I'm really grateful that I get the opportunity here. And I yeah. just think that has coming a way in. of freeing you up. Yeah. yeah. So, coming in hungry. Exactly. Right. And the, the Lane Dickens theory. Yes. That's very, very well said, Matt. The Lane Dickens theory, 100%. Um, so I'll take Adam and then a guy that we've talked about here on the show. And actually, when I say Adam, like obviously he's he's been managing at the good time. Like I should just call good time. Okay, if you just call Bayleton, like I think in saying that, I get Adam, I get Mitchell, I get Seth Lancaster, I get Brad Plord. Yeah. Like I like my odds, right? And I, and a handful right. more um, from that area. Like that's a pretty nasty regular Saturday night track. But if I had to pick one, I'll take Adam. And then my second pick is a guy that I've actually never met in person. I don't think that I've ever seen in person. But this <laughs> dude wins every damn week, and I don't even know if he's going to Bristol. He's from the Northeast. If Nathan Mendenhall's there, like I'm just I'm shoving some chips on on that square. Like that dude has been crushing it all season, and I'd like to see him do it on that stage. So I'll, I'll take Nathan Mendenhall with my other pick. Those are two obviously very good picks. Mendenhall has been crushing it lately in his truck. I believe I'm friends with both him and his father on Facebook, and I believe the one win came a day after putting an engine, building an engine for their truck. Like his father owns a engine shop, I believe, and they built an engine on like Friday and raced it on Saturday, and I think he won. So yeah, he's obviously the uh, someone that doesn't get rattled by much. So yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, right uh, yeah, he, he's definitely a great pick for sure. Right, good stuff. So we will have plenty to to tie a nice bow around this. We'll see exactly what happens where you're at. 
We'll see what happens in Bristol and everywhere else. It is it is a holiday weekend, so that means that just about every racetrack in the country has an event of of elevated stature in some form or fashion. So I'm sure we'll have no shortage of things to discuss next week. Matt, thank you so much for uh, for for taking your time here. It, you are literally between rounds at Martin. They're probably about to call <laughs> you up for round two of the first 50 grander. So thank you and best of luck this weekend, man. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, they uh, they're running dragster reentry right now, so I'm sure it's can't be much longer, and I get to uh, go do another wheelie. It's about that time. Well, good luck, my friend. Thank you so much. And uh, this has been fun, man. We'll have to do this again. We'll get you on with Jed too, because that that takes the fun factor up even another notch. And I love Big Jed, so yeah, I'm I'm totally in on that. We're, I'm I'm totally in for a second appearance. Uh, good stuff. Thanks, Matt. Thanks to our listeners. We'll be back again next week. Thanks, Luke. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100 plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th. <laughs>